0: Welcome, friends and guests, to the We'll Preach for Food podcast, a ministry of Faith Lutheran Church here in surprisingly sunny Shelton, Washington. This is Pastor Brenda, stepping in for Pastor Doug, my wonderful husband, for week three of Emotionally Healthy Relationships. We have two gospels for this message and a bunch of awesome Old Testament and New Testament epistles. So there you go. They'll get thrown in as we we get to it. Our gospels are from Luke chapter 8. And John chapter 15 from Luke. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. John 15, the message translation. Jesus says to his friends, His disciples, I have loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy, and your joy wholly Holy, completely, W-H-O-L-L-Y, mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. The gospel of the Lord. So yes, so far, this emotionally healthy stuff has been pretty cool. We're sitting in silence a couple times a day, held in the unending, ever-present love of God, even if we're hosting a cocktail party in our heads. The Buddhists call it monkey mind, and I've never got the image until recently. Our thoughts swing from tree to tree, barely pausing for a banana here and there. Silence is not easy for me, especially midday. So when silence comes hard, it's okay. Keep at it. God is with you first, loving you in this and that and every moment. Day five in our day-by-day devotion book is profound on this point. Quoting Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard, who writes, You have loved us first, O God. Alas, we speak of it in in terms of history, as if you loved us first, but a single time. Rather than that, without ceasing, you have loved us first, many times and every day, our whole life through. When we wake up in the morning and turn our soul toward you, you are there first. You have loved us first. If I rise at dawn and at that same second turn my soul toward you in prayer, you're there ahead of me. You have loved me first. When I withdraw from the distractions of the day and turn my soul toward you, you are there first, and thus forever. We speak ungratefully, as if you have loved us first only once. I love that idea. God is always Loving us first. We just keep turning toward that love. So, yeah, if silence is coming slow, we're also learning and practicing some great tools that are a little more verbal. The community temperature reading helps us appreciate and understand each other, gently bringing up what bothers and asking for what we prefer. We're learning to notice when we make up stories about what's in other people's minds and then check them out. I'm thinking that you're thinking this. Is that true? Are you reading my mind? Doug and I learned to ask that question last week. I'm learning also that when I'm mad or disappointed, I can check my expectations. Was I expecting something? Did I know what I was expecting? Did they know what I was expecting? Was it reasonable? Did we agree? At least one person has told me, wow, If we'd learned this years ago, we could have avoided so much pain. So it's been good. And this week and next, reckoning with our past and with our emotions are a little more tender. Most, maybe all of us, resist looking at what's hard in our lives and families. God's love in Jesus covers our past. Why dig it up or pick at scabs? Doesn't looking at old hurts dishonor the memory of good people just doing their best? If I reopen old wounds, what if it really hurts and doesn't heal? (laughs) And Pastor Brenda, I'm no spring chicken. I think I'm past all this. Let's leave it for the kids. It's tender. Of course we resist. So please... Take a breath with me, close your eyes, and remember, God is loving you first, right now. God loved and held your parents, your grandparents, and every member of your family first, forever. So, Abba God, kind Jesus, you are gentle. Your spirit brings freedom and healing Our lives and our times are yours. So, like Jesus, we come now to do your will. Please open to us what you would have us understand, and show us what to do with what we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we reckon with our past for two reasons. What we resist persists but what comes to light becomes a light. What we resist persists, but what comes to light becomes a light. Our Christian tradition knows what psychologist Carl Jung said really well. What we resist persists. First time I heard that, it hit me as true and stuck with me hard. What we resist persists, so we lean into what's uncomfortable, because unrecognized sin, the healthy ways, the unhealthy ways of relating and responding to life that we learn and invent, unrecognized will continue affecting us and our kids until we see them and receive God's healing for them. This truth showed up in our lessons from Exodus in chapter 20 and chapter 34 this week. In chapter 34 of Exodus, God declares this reality to Moses. Yahweh, Yahweh. God declares God's royal name. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, God does not leave the guilty unpunished, but punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents, to the third and fourth generation. Our readers cringed to read those on Sunday. And in this this passage and where it shows up in Exodus 20, the word for punish is not the one-to-one of an angry parent whacking a kid or some grim judge sentencing criminals. Punish here means letting the sin play out or allowing the consequences to continue. Down the line. In Exodus 20, when the word first appears, it's clear that when we allow anything other than God to control our lives, say fear that drives greed, silences grief, or fuels anger, then that idol, unrecognized, captivates generation after generation of families, churches, communities, even countries. Pete Scazzaro says, Jesus may be in your heart but grandpa's in your bones and scripture lists and says their names and tells their stories, teaching us to bring our stories to light because what comes to light becomes a light. In Ephesians 5, Paul says an amazing thing. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. See, here's Christ's new family. Have nothing to do with the fruitless days deeds of darkness. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. They're fruitless. They're just dead ends. Rather, expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. It will be hard to speak of these things. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. What comes to light becomes a light. We expose and explore the hard stuff, what bugs us, hurts us, trips us up, our unfruitful ways of relating and responding to life. We confess them because what we expose and explore with our loving God and our loving friends, what comes to light becomes a light. And our kids, grandkids, friends, neighbors experience fruitful freedom beyond what we ever could ask Or imagine, we build lives and families, churches, and communities closer to God and more like Jesus in the light. So this week, Emotionally Healthy gives us two tools, the genogram and unbiblical family commandments. I'll look at each of them briefly, and I'll tell some of what I'm learning. But first, I want to say that I could not do the work of considering the flaws of my family without the very strength and faithfulness of my family to move me to this point, without my parents' generosity and grace to leave me space to do my work, I couldn't be doing it. So even as I show you what is hard in my family, I do it because I've been led to this place on their shoulders and by their examples. So here we go. Our basic feel for life, And our instinctive responses to it are shaped in our earliest years, ages 0 to 8 or 10. Although my parents kept changing, my unconscious feel for and responses to life and people were mostly set way back then. So here are the ingredients of my early emotional stew. Here's what I was cooking in. The Satrams immigrated from Norway in the early 1900s. The Novaks, my mom's side, came from Yugoslavia. The Russells, my grandma Novak uh, and her family, came west on the Oregon Trail. All these folks were poor, and life was hard. It was cool and beautiful and great, I'm sure, but also brutally hard, like dried buffalo chips for diaper powder, hard. Depression, hard. There were tragic deaths, on both sides of the family. And most all of that went inside and quiet. People didn't have tools to deal with grief, so it all went silent and then came out sideways. Grandma Novak's siblings split over inheritance. There were aunts and uncles I never even knew about. And as grandma aged, she grew more and more dependent on mom And that was hard. In my early years, like many of you, I often wasn't coached in my behaviors. I was just spanked and sent to my room. I suspect anger that had nothing to do with me came at me in those moments. I don't remember even what I did wrong. I only remember the punishment. And I mostly learned not to trust myself, to watch myself anxiously and expect a whacking. I became a perfectionist. So I'm really good at a lot of things, <laughs> but I'm often uncomfortable in my own skin. The Satrums worked really hard and got along. I never saw my folks disagree. I think a Christian parenting class taught them not to disagree in front of kids. And so I still don't really know how to disagree in my family and stay engaged. On the farm, mistakes could cost lives and harvests. That was a big deal. There were critters involved. I loved the fields and the freedom and the books I got to read, but always there was pressure. Because life. Some of my earliest messages, <laughs> what I heard, received, were get it right or someone gets hurt. Work is good and safe. Do a lot of it. Tears are weak. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Someone else has it harder. The other tool Emotionally Healthy gives us this week is unbiblical family commandments. Some examples of messages that both our culture and our families in the culture might be passing on. So for those of you at home or out and about, you can find these at the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship website. There are a bunch of things at church and we have workbooks, but everything's on sale there if you want to explore this further. So yeah, you can get to unbiblical family commandments there. Um, The categories are helpful. I noticed that my messages are a little different, but money is a big category and an issue for so many of us. In my family, money, like sex, is dangerous. It can divide families. So we don't talk about it, but here's a book. And conflict, another helpful category. Fear makes conflict hard. And the fear of cutoff in my family meant that disagreement might cause exile. And religion got mixed in here too. The threat is that if we disagree with God, if we don't do religion right, we go to hell. The question is, is God's love really unconditional? Or do some disagreements separate us from God forever? I really don't think, friends that that is the message Jesus was putting out. I'll just be frank about that. I don't think that's God's deal in Jesus, that some disagreements will separate us from God. See, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, says Romans chapter eight. And that means nothing. There are some things that might not be great for us, and God loves us first, always, forever. So we don't have to be afraid to disagree. God's bigger than that. <sighs> anger is another of the categories mentioned in the family commandments. It's difficult for us to. Uh, anger is dangerous We can express anger about people in the news and outside the family, but we can't express anger towards each other. To me, um, someone else's anger who's close to me um, feels like punishment and isolation, and it sends me out of the room. It's really hard for me to endure anger that comes at me. Wow. Yeah. My family looks good and stable and healthy. And I really didn't understand until recently why so often I felt anxious and fearful and heavy. The best of families have stuff. It's up to us just to see and offer it to God. Because what comes to light becomes a light. As God loved Jesus, so Jesus loves you and me. As we remain in Christ's love, living his way as best we can, God's love grows in us. Love that's patient and kind, never envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. Love that's slow to anger and keeps no record of wrongs. If Grandpa's in our bones... I think the spirit of Jesus is a bone marrow transplant that rewrites our personal, relational, and family DNA for God. So, as I wrap this up, four things. Uh, This is such tender stuff. You may have big feelings stirring, and that's okay. God loves you and your family first. This is really tender. Some of you may carry shame or guilt around something that happened to you or something you did to someone else. You might wonder if you should be shame, feel shameful or guilty about something and not know what it was. <sighs> Take a deep breath. God knows and loves you and every member of your family first, always, forever. God wastes nothing. Everything does work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to God's good, good purposes. Two, life is a team sport. We don't do this alone. I'm grateful for an awesome husband who's in it with me. He was happy and still is for my counselor and for the kind and wise people in my spiritual direction program and among our friends. We very, very often need others to help us through family stuff. Telling your story to a compassionate listener is a step toward healing. Everything that comes to light becomes a light. So, it's tender. It's a team sport. And three, you may not be led to reckon with your past right now, and that's okay. If you're an elder, you should know that your kids and your grandkids may be reckoning with their genogram their family stuff. When they're doing this work, you might catch some vibes, some feels, some distance, and that's okay. Just stay in touch. If they come to you with questions, be as open as you can. It's not disloyal to tell hard stories. Our Bible is full of them. They need brought to light. And if your kids want to tell you something, Something hard. Try to just listen. Sit with it. Don't defend or excuse it. You can come to your pastor later to talk it out. That's okay. Four. It's not up to you or me to fix anybody. We can move the ball down the field. My folks moved the ball, as did my grandfolks, and as do I. I will. (laughs) All this is possible because we're bravely following Jesus to life in Jesus' new family. So, here's your question for today, maybe every day. Resting in the love and led by the Spirit of Jesus, given what you know today, what is yours to do? What is yours to do? Talk to God about that. Then listen for the still, small voice. For the whole new family of Christ, gathered by the love of God through what Jesus did. For this reason, says Paul, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being Now to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the mighty power at work within us, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Be well, friends of God.